Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Jess. And we're inviting you to a lady date, a place to connect, speak openly, and learn from each other's experiences. Welcome back to season two. Today's podcast is all about the magic and brilliance of Taylor Swift and what she's taught us about marketing. But first, we have our first Patreon to shout out. Sarah C., thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon. We really appreciate it. Uh, It helps us continue to do what we're doing here, and we just love seeing your support. So thank you so much, Sarah. All right. We are here. It's season two. Can you believe it? My gosh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Who would have thought? We would be on season two, making our Lady Date podcast, but we're here. I'm so excited. Boo, me too. So as is tradition, I think it's time we open things up with an icebreaker. Today, I want to know, Sarah, what is something you're really good at cooking or baking? Oh, this is a good one. Okay, so I make pretty good chicken thighs if we're talking about cooking those are like all reliable those are ones that you know like you don't need a recipe you can just kind of like go um or like eggs like scrambled eggs those are like my my easy cooking things so obviously i'm a very well-trained chef uh chicken and eggs (laughs) (laughs) but i really like baking i think that's probably where i shine more and the thing I like baking the most is a brown butter chocolate chip cookie with sea salt on top because I really like sweet and salty. Uh, so those, yeah, those are I really like. And brown butter and anything. Like, come on, you can't go wrong. It's perfect. It's yeah. what we were all intended to eat butter as is brown right? butter. Mm-hmm. Agreed. How about you, Jess? I like cooking a lot of things. I think what I'm good at cooking is probably like, pasta dishes which seems like super basic and probably everybody feels like they're good at cooking pasta because it's super straightforward but I love um just like kind of creating random things that go in with whatever noodle vehicle you're using to get the rest of the flavors pulled together so whether that be like a really simple brown butter tomato and spinach kind of mixture with some fresh basil or vodka sauce. I have a really good one that you don't use actual any dairy for, but a vodka sauce with like coconut milk. Oof, it's so good. I mean, like you, I actually really enjoy baking more so. So I love making cookies and one of my favorite things to make uh, are cakeys which are um, a name lovingly given to these like pumpkin cookies that I made a few years ago and have continued to make them year after year. But my brother-in-law was like, oh, these kind of have like a cake-like texture. And they became known as cakeys from then on. Cakeys are great. Can confirm. So tasty. Oh, man, we just need to do more baking segments. I mean, I really tried to see if people on Instagram wanted us to do like a lady date baking segment. Nobody responded. It's fine. But you uh, killed it with your cinnamon rolls. Oh, yeah. Those are fun. I know we've done donuts. We've done quite a few baking uh, cameos on Instagram. Come on, guys. Support our passion. (laughs) 
<laughs> Didn't you know we made a marketing podcast so we could become known as bakers? Oh, jeez. Very complicated people. Okay. <laughs> well, and it is, you know, it's very fitting because one of our first conversations about wanting to start this podcast was because we had spent the day baking focaccia. So baking's just part of this whole experience. Yep, totally. Okay, so today I am super excited for the content of our episode because we are talking about Taylor Swift, which uh, is a person that I admire and I am a fan of. I will say as a caveat to start this episode, I have not been a lifelong Taylor Swift fan. I'm a late stage fan. I just want to give that little disclaimer and also say that I am not um, the most knowledgeable person when it comes to Taylor Swift. So um, <laughs> I'm bringing the knowledge that I have accumulated so far. But if anyone wants to contradict anything we say or add to it, please let us know in, in you know, comments or emails or, you know, however you'd like to contribute. I, I'd love to talk about it. So. Today, we're going to talk about the top four marketing skills that Taylor Swift has taught us. We'll break down each one for you. The first one we're going to talk about is one that probably most people think of when they think of Taylor Swift because it's her ability to pivot. Most people right off the gate are going to know that that's talking about her genre pivot from country to pop. She's well known for this. And I think that on top of being able to genre bend like that, she's just in general a very like flexible businesswoman. She she just goes and does whatever she needs to do in order to be successful and is not afraid of change, which I think is super important um, to her success. I think it's been a key to her success, even though we think of it very closely with her change in genre. You can see it in many, many other examples. And the way she's conducted business, 2020 is a huge example of that and that she, out of the blue, released two albums with no uh, lead up. So just straight up dropped two albums and it worked. Like it was no big deal. No big deal. (laughs) I know. Casually, all of a sudden, we have two Taylor Swift albums in 2020. I know. What a, what a gift. What a treat. (laughs) And I mean, the fact that she dropped it without promotion does not mean that there was not work that went into it. It's just so different compared to how she dropped albums in the past because she usually does quite a lead up because her fan base is so into like following the clues that she drops, you know, social media posts and things like that. But 2020 brought a different world to all of us. And in classic Taylor Swift fashion, she pivoted, did what was best for the time and it worked. And now she's getting nominated for two different albums, which never happens because musicians do not drop two albums in a year. (laughs) No, it's unheard of. And it's also just like a testament to her growing up in the spotlight and being able to pivot genres and do so successfully. That's a hard thing for artists to do. Or even if they're individuals who cross over from, you know, acting to singing or vice versa, Pivoting and changing while it's necessary to remain relevant, top of mind, meet the market where they're at, it's a hard thing to pull off. So it is no small feat for her to have been able to pivot from starting as a, I remember her like super curly hair, country star, 
with just like her guitar up on stage singing her love songs to where she is now. And she's creating and has created beautiful music. She truly has mastered being able to change as she's changed and and have her product change as she's changed and grown. Totally. And then maintain consistency where she needs to, right? So she is true to, she's always seemed to have this kind of like ethical code. And, you know, we saw that in her like stance on politics. She was very quiet for a long time and then, you know, was very deliberate with announcing it and then has become more vocal about things that she cares about uh, as of late. But She's always kind of maintained this Taylor Swift like moral code where you're like, she's standing up for the little guy and is very, in standing up for herself, emboldens her fans. She's very true to her fans. She's always thanking them and and is letting her fans know that she's doing what she's doing for them. And because of them, she is a very passionate songwriter. She's writing her music. She's sharing her own stories, right? She's doing all of these things that are consistent and then stays true to that but then everything else it seems like she has no attachment to it because it's whatever works which may be indicative of how she is maybe she feels like that maybe she's very like flexible when it comes to change when it matters but it certainly it works for her in the business world for sure right and if you think about it you know she is her brand so she has to know how to market herself she has to know how to appeal to the masses that she's trying to essentially sell her product to. And she's able to do so in a way that's very authentic and in a way that, you know, I'm sure she probably lost some fans when she shifted away from country music and went more into pop. But she also gained a lot of fans because of that transition. Or she kept a lot of fans that were just like, you know what, I really like this individual. I like the types of songs that she creates, and I'm gonna just stick by her. So That's interesting when you look at it from like a business perspective and how businesses can do the same sort of thing. Because I think that there are a lot of companies out there that have also been able to do this successfully with the mindset of really adapting to the times, adapting to the needs of individuals. We've seen in this last year alone how many companies had to quickly pivot because of restrictions on being able to eat in restaurants, restrictions on travel, restrictions on interacting in close proximity with other individuals. So we've seen a lot of companies do a lot of pivoting (laughs) in the last year. But when we look at those who have done so successfully, I know when you and I were talking, Sarah, there were a handful of companies that really stood out to us. One of them that came to mind was Netflix. When Netflix started and we were participants in renting DVDs through the mail, it was (laughs) such a neat concept because otherwise we would have had to go to a Blockbuster or a Hollywood video. But around that time, that was really starting to phase out. Those weren't as popular anymore. The way that consumers were interacting with movies was a lot different. People were able to get things a lot more at home. They didn't even have to leave. And Netflix was really able to capitalize on sending people DVDs to their home. But then as we started to migrate away from DVDs and Blu-ray discs, we saw that they created what is now being done time and time again by 
all sorts of companies like what the office just left Netflix because NBC did their own like Peacock streaming service. Now we have all these streaming services that have come about because we've seen that Netflix has been so successful in changing the way that we now consume once again. Yeah, you you saw Netflix change with technology. Basically, every door that was opened by the ability for internet streaming, it led to great, great success. You know, Netflix pivoted kind of slowly. They transitioned slowly, right? They were doing mail delivery for DVDs and then also were doing internet streaming. And then they eventually just ended it, which I remember was such a big thing, which is so yeah. funny to think back on now. That kind of like business shift it doesn't feel very openly talked about in a lot of companies because I feel like most of the time with business pivots, it happens before they were successful. But with Netflix and with Taylor Swift, they were successful and they saw things changing or mm-hmm. felt that they wanted to change, saw a potential for a bigger market. And they pivoted and saw greater success. So I think that's what's so incredible is that moving from success to greater success is very, very impressive. I know another uh, example we talked about was Nintendo, which is such a great example because they started as just card games. Like they were just cards uh, that they sold for years and years and years. I mean, they, they were established in like the late 1800s initially. They've been around for a long time and then stuck in the card industry for a long time. And then as technology came into play, started getting into electronic devices and gaming consoles. And then they own Pokemon, of course, which is, you know, very much callback to their roots. But it was a huge success for them as well. But that didn't happen until the 90s. But yeah, it's amazing. And while we see it in businesses, I think it's specifically very important in marketing because things change for marketing so quickly. And because we tend to be a very data oriented team, we have a lot of numbers and testing and scientific theory to find how things work and change them for the better. And so I think the ability to pivot is really important, not only on a business level, but also specifically in a marketing team and a marketing department. Absolutely. You know, we're seeing it in events. We're seeing it in what type of content people are consuming. You have to be able to pay attention to the data, pay attention to what people are looking at and looking for, and then pivot to meet their needs. Because if you're producing things or putting things out there that are missing individuals, you're not going to be getting the types of results and leads and traffic that you need to in order to be a contributing department to your company. That was a big one. That was a big one to start with. I know. It was a meaty one. It was. (laughs) I feel like this next one is pretty straightforward as far as it's something that we often talk about needing to know in marketing, but I just feel that Taylor has done such a good job about it. And it's knowing her audience and constantly engaging with them. And I feel like this kind of calls back to our customer marketing episode from season one, where we talked about the importance of customer marketing and the importance of asking questions, getting to know them and continuing that engagement. And unfortunately, this is something that can often be seen not as a top priority for certain companies when they're really trying to work with a slim budget or maybe a skeleton crew, and this can be pushed to the wayside. But even though Taylor Swift is wildly successful and has a whole team of people, there is an element of authenticity still to the relationship building that she really focuses on. 
Totally, totally agree. And I agree, it calls back to the customer marketing entirely, even talking about relationship building, like that is exactly what I think our conversation was around. So I think that it helps that she knows where her audience is. I think that a lot of the times in marketing, we're like always trying to find where people want to be engaged with. I think we have a hard time nailing that. But the funny thing about Taylor Swift, and I think you kind of touched on this, Jess, with the authenticity bit, is that she's not overly engaged on social media. Like she's there, but she's not like doing stories every two seconds and revealing her inner secrets. Like that's the funny thing about her. She's actually a pretty private person. I think it makes it that much more important and valuable to her fans when she shares things from her life. And when she writes herself into her songs, I think that it helps people feel really connected to her. So for this one, I almost think it's more like quality versus quantity. It's like she's she's not in your face all the time. But when she's there, it feels like she's very, very present. You know, like I mentioned briefly before, she continuously, you know, in her concerts and in every effort that she does that's fan facing, she very much makes it about the fans and gives credit back to the fans. It's like she kind of removes ego and and has, has somehow as a superstar remained a very relatable person. And I think that that helps her audience feel like they're being very connected to her all the time, that they're, they're being consistently engaged with, even though it's not happening very frequently. She definitely knows her audience. I mean, it helps when they've been around for so long, right? The, the diehards, the country fans are still there and she'll oh, still yeah. get on stage and sing just with her guitar and be that girl again because it's still part of her. So I think that 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 helps a lot that that authenticity really contributes to that. It's very intentional. And I mean, I think there's not to get into the drama around Taylor, but I think there is an element of her going back and re-recording all of her earlier songs that she doesn't have access to anymore. It's because she still feels very connected to that group who loves that music and it's still very much a part of her and she still loves it. And so I completely agree with everything you said. I think that while it's not constant and, you know, we turn to social media a lot for this type of engagement with audiences uh, in our respective markets, but she is creating quality content and quality engagement in order to really make people feel connected to what she's saying. I think that uh, (laughs) the ones that we came up with just make me chuckle because they're so random as far as like examples of businesses that have done this well. I'll start with this one. I think the Portland Trailblazers local team. We love them. They are a longtime professional team that we've had in Portland. They've done a really good job of engaging with individuals on their social media channels and really recognizing where their fans are at, how their fans have kind of joined them on this journey of a roller coaster of fandom that have grown with the organization you know, we recently experienced some individuals getting hurt and it's just, it's painful. And they just know how to engage with a lot of what people are either like commenting and with their posts. It's not constant. Like you don't see them blowing up your feed by any means, but they know that they have these individuals who truly are invested in this team, truly invested in the men that play on the team and are part of the organization and that they just want a successful season. They just, <laughs> just want to see uh, an injury-free year. But 
I digress. It's a hard time to be a Blazer fan. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think it's such a good connection when you have like a sports team and you have a fan base. It's very similar, like easy engagement because you have all these people who are loyal to you and to what you're doing. If you're doing the right things, I'm not going to say a blanket <laughs> statement for all athletic clubs because it's not Absolutely. true. Absolutely. But yeah, like you have a fan base, so it makes sense that they want to be engaged with you and you're opening that door. Okay, so the other examples we have, which are kind of goofy, (laughs) but I think they'll resonate with a lot of people. And we've seen this in the past few years, a lot of like fast food companies starting to engage and get a little bit more human like with Mm -hmm. that they interact with their audience. So companies like Wendy's gets into weird snarky battles with like Burger King and McDonald's and Chipotle. Like if you follow Chipotle on Instagram, they're hilarious. They make fun of themselves. They engage with every comment on every post and will like sign who from their team wrote it. So it's like a real human engaging with you. They'll do like customer service, they'll release gift codes and things like that. So they're always there. They're always engaging. The quantity is there, but also because you know, it's a human behind it, it feels genuine. And it feels like you're actually being engaged with instead of some companies that have tried the same thing and come off as really just cringy. Yeah, it's like, you know, we know what you're doing. We see right through you. I agree. And like, if you've ever engaged with a brand on social media, and they comment or like back, and it's a brand that you really respect or really like, or are passionate about, like, it feels good getting that engagement. And it's no small task to have a social team that is engaging regularly and making sure to respond, especially if you're an account that has a lot of followers and a lot of engagement. It's a lot to manage. But it means a lot to people, especially if they're coming to you with requests, if they're coming to you with customer service issues, which is like the new way of apparently getting help and getting support for better or worse. But that's I mean, it's a big deal to invest in making sure that that engagement piece is part of your social strategy and part of your strategy as far as engaging with your audience. Absolutely. Don't just post about yourself. Go and engage with the people that are there interacting with you. Because they're your audience. They're the ones who care. I feel like this is a really good segue into our next point that we wanted to talk about, which was Taylor has really established a humanized brand. And we've mentioned this a little bit here and there in the first two points, but there's so much that you can connect with because of how she does put herself out there for individuals to feel like, oh, I could be friends with her or... If I ever, you know, met Taylor Swift, we have so many things in common and it's it's that connection piece. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know what it is. You know, I am not a songwriter. I cannot begin to explain to you what recipe it is that makes someone feel an emotion when they hear a song. I know it's partially lyrics, it's partially the actual like melody, but for some reason her music, even if I don't fully relate to it, you know, even if it's, you know, me as a 30-year-old now listening to her talking about being in high school <laughs> in a situation that I probably wasn't in, I'll still cry. I don't know what that is, but that kind of empathy when it goes into songwriting or just like authentic experience. I don't know, maybe it's like some chord progression that just gets me or something. But the fact that like, I can emotionally react to that makes it feel like a human wrote it It feels like I'm connecting with a human. And I know that her followers, her fans feel the same way. 
with a lot of artists, I think people feel very connected to them emotionally. But because, like we've mentioned, because she openly writes about her relationships and things she's been through, I think that we feel her presence as a human being. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm a sucker for a good story. I actually know that that's for sure true. But I think that she's just done a really good job in her entire career. She's been really consistent with bringing herself into her music and not keeping her fans at arm's length. And I'm sure that probably is really difficult for her. If not, maybe it's an entire marketing play that I've fallen into this whole time. But she's just done a really good job about that. And, you know, we've talked about the clues that she drops and in her music and in her promotions and and just being really transparent about everything she goes through when it's not necessarily the best of times with like her music ownership and all the Kanye drama. She's private for the most part. And then she shares some of the hard stuff when she is ready. And I think that it helps people feel really close to her. Yeah. And also shares hard stuff when she doesn't always look the best in those situations. So there's a true vulnerability that she puts out there. And man, people tear her apart for all her love songs and her breakup songs and how critical people have been of the fact that she dated people and then felt something. Mm -hmm. And critics are going to be there regardless. There's always going to be people with opinions that want to complain about something. But I think that element of she is putting to words and putting to music a lot of things that people have felt, even if they haven't been in that situation. And it is that element of connection. It's a lot of why we started this podcast is you maybe haven't experienced the same things we have in a work setting or in a personal life setting, but maybe something we say resonates and makes you think a little bit more about a situation that you're in, or maybe makes you feel like you're not alone in whatever situation that you're experiencing. And there is so much power in that. It's huge. And the fact that she's been able to create that for her fans, create that for individuals who maybe were such Taylor Swift haters and then heard some of her music or heard a particular song and it struck them in such a way. It's pretty incredible. And I commend her for that because putting yourself out on display like that and being that open and honest and talking about hard things, a lot of people shy away from. I think the two examples of businesses that we have that fall into this are really spot on as far as how they've established a humanized brand. And I know when we were talking about this, Sarah, I had brought up Patagonia as being a brand that I tend to look to a lot as far as how they interact and how they produce content that really speaks to their target market. They are expensive outdoor apparel. And they're kind of known for being Patagucci or something that is maybe not as accessible for a lot of people, but they've somewhat made themselves a little bit more relatable in the sense of they don't take it lightly that clothing production has a really intense impact on the environment and that the amount of water used in order to create clothing, the amount of waste that comes from people just throwing away old clothing uh, has become a really big part of their worn wear movement where they will ask you to recycle or 
they have a whole worn wear van that will go around and travel the country to do repairs. Or you can even bring in old clothing, old Patagonia clothing to their stores and they'll try and, you know, either recycle it or repair it for you, whatever they can do. In this whole thread of we know that we have individuals who care about and cherish the outdoors and really care about conserving the beauty that we get to enjoy when we're wearing Patagonia apparel. So I feel like they've done a good job of really settling into a space that they can have conversations about and have ambassadors that talk a lot about it. If you get their newsletters or like their emails or whatnot, they often talk about different featured individuals that are doing conservation work or things that they're involved in in projects. And I think that humanization of their brand has really done a lot for not just being an overly priced (laughs) jacket that you can buy, but that there's a little bit more behind their brand. Right. There's some good behind the money going into the jacket. For <laughs> exactly. sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I think that they're a great example and they've I mean they've nailed their company mission. It's perfect. I think the other example we have is more local to Oregon, although I know that they have some cafes in other states, but primarily this is an Oregon company and it's Dutch Bros. It's a coffee shop here. They do a really good job of just humanizing your interaction with them. So usually it's like a little coffee stand and you drive through. It's just like any other coffee shop. You'd order your coffee and pay. And usually they have just like a bunch of high schoolers working there, but they're like the nicest people you've ever met and are are just genuinely interested in your life and they'll always talk to you and have like a really good conversation with you consistently like this is very intentional on Dutch Bros part is for them to have an interaction with every single customer that makes that person feel good and I look forward to it every time I go there's never a chance that someone's going to be rude to me there or even cold like they're always just very warm very talkative so introverts beware if you go to Dutch Bros they're going to talk to you but they do a really good job and, and, you know, talking about humanizing a brand, the human element, what makes us human is so complicated and diverse, right? Talking about Patagonia and linking it to what humans want for the environment and our human relationship with a retailer and clothes and, and stewarding the environment is one piece of being a human and what what we need as humans and finding connection with a Dutch Bros employee is a very different element of being a human. I think there are a lot of ways brands can do this. I think there are a lot of ways that brands get it wrong because they're afraid of humanizing in the wrong way. Because a lot of the time to be human feels vulnerable in a bad way. It feels like risk, I think, to businesses. So it's a lot easier to kind of box up and put on a face and feel overly professional and a little bit sterile. But I think that if if brands and businesses dabbled a little bit more in the human side of who they're marketing to, I think they would see a lot of success like these brands do. Yeah. And organically too. Like it doesn't have to be forced. It doesn't have to be something where you maybe get a result right away. But over time, if you can stay consistent with this humanized brand piece and really put work towards it and really put effort towards putting it out there and allowing individuals to connect with your brand in a deeper way, you will find that over time you can really create some loyal fans and loyal following. I feel like Dutch Bros is such a great example. They care a lot about their employees. They do a lot for their employees to generate this culture that they've established of being fun, being engaged, being personable. You go to a Dutch Bros a couple of times and it'll feel like they know who you are. 
and oh yeah maybe like have gone one or two times but they'll make a point of remembering you you know or maybe remembering your order which is just a nice element of having that customer service experience they also have done such a good job in creating a ton of swag and merch that people want. And I remember I saw that they were doing something around the holidays where the first however many customers would then get a Dutch Bros ornament. I don't even go to Dutch Bros that often, but I remember asking about it and being like, do you guys have any more ornaments? Like, is there (laughs) one that I can have? Just because I like their brand. I like their fun vibe. I like their overly sugary sweet drinks. And I have fun when I'm there, which is so silly because it's a maybe 10 minute interaction at most. Mm-hmm. But they do a great job and they have people trying to get as much merch as they possibly can. You see Dutch Mafia bumper stickers, Dutch Princess, all that kind of stuff on people's cars. I think this segues really well into our final uh, tactic that we feel Taylor Swift has taught us about, which is that feeling of belonging and community and that kind of feeling of exclusivity that you are part of something that's something really special. And I think that Dutch Bros has done an incredible job of creating that. But also our girl Taylor really knows how to do this. Yeah, she really does. And she does it on so many different levels. She always has had her own social circle that has felt very exclusive. And I know that she's kind of had different feedback on that in the past. Sometimes it seems a little unrealistic to only have models for friends. It takes away from the relatability, but you know... (laughs) (laughs) But she's always kind of used like that social circle or different influencers to make her community and those she lets in feel very special. It's also the classic using, I say classic as if it's been around forever. It's also, as we know, using influencers to gain access to a larger audience. That includes having people, you know, co-write with her and co-sing with her on certain songs, right? It opens up her audience, which we as marketers and just people of the internet know that that works. And, you know, having cameos in her, her music videos, that's been really big on both, you know, reputation and on lover. Those work in the more classic sense of using other people to expand your audience. And, you know, even for like cardigan, she had all of those cardigans made um, and sent them to her influencer friends. And then at the same time, got to launch her own merch line with the cardigans that you now can go and buy and wear just like Taylor Swift and all of her friends. So it takes that kind of exclusivity, special club vibe and gives access to the fans. She, She lets fans have access to that group. It's a tricky line to walk, which is so interesting with her because it's definitely way more linked to direct sales. Like it's very much feels like a monetization of her fans, which is what this is, right? Like she is a business. She is her brand, like you said, Jess. So it feels a little bit like icky to even be talking about it, which is so funny. But she's really good at this, right? She's good at giving special access, which makes her fans feel included, but it's monetized selling special tracks or like special albums that if you pay for it you get to hear a different version like you're hearing a couple of bonus tracks instead of what everyone on spotify is hearing she sells physical albums and has bonus tracks on there as well so she's really good at selling (laughs) exclusivity which feels icky to say as a fan but i think she does a really good job of it i agree 
And it does, it does sometimes feel icky, but then at the same time, it's kind of part of establishing your brand and part of establishing a strong following. One of the examples we had talked about was Peloton. We both are Pelotoners, Pelotoned, not quite yet on my end getting there. You know, we are now part of this group where if you have the bike, you can, or the tread or the app, like you can be part of seeing your friends that are also working out and following certain hashtags and seeing what's popular. Like they've created this whole community that is based around getting these achievements. They've completely gamified it. They've made it so it's super interactive you can kind of track all these different metrics around what you're doing. You can see what others are doing when you're doing a workout. You can see how you're pacing against other people. It's, you know, something that has really exploded over this last year with so many of us uh, not really going out to physical gyms anymore. Holy cow, want to talk about like creating exclusivity, creating a community based around working out. Peloton has nailed it. Yeah, I mean, Peloton's a great example. I mean, up until maybe a year ago, I felt like Peloton was too exclusive. And now that I'm in, I'm like, oh, man, I wonder who else I can follow. Who Oh, I can take this person's class. Oh, I'm going to go high five this person. You know, it's very yeah. communal. I feel like I'll be a Peloton community member for a long time, which I think is like a true testament of this whole kind of marketing or business tactic. And another company we see this in is Apple, because mm-hmm. once you go Apple, you never go back. If you buy an iPhone, you're probably going to be an Apple member forever. Once you get used to using their computers, they've made things just a, just unique enough to them that it's it's inconvenient to learn how to use a PC or you're really comfortable with how clean their user interface is. Usually once you've once you've signed on, it's also integrated that you don't really want to change over. So they've done a really good job at establishing that kind of like lifelong community and I mean exclusivity at their prices <laughs> uh, make it such an exclusive club. So Oh yeah. And but the, like then it's seamless between we can connect our phone to our compu- like our MacBook to our iPad like everything flows together you don't lose anything you can easily share between devices like anybody who has an iPhone it's so seamless to even communicate with those individuals there's the blue box versus the green box when you're texting people that are iPhone versus Android devices. There are like small micro elements that just set it ever so slightly apart, like you said, ever so slightly more convenient to talk Mm -hmm. to somebody else in a group text where everybody's an iPhone. It's just barely there, but it's enough to be seen as like, oh, it's so annoying. Yeah. Enough for you to peer pressure someone, you know, like, I wish you had an iPhone because then our reactions would be better. Yeah, this would be so much better. Exactly. It's all fun and games. Like, obviously, this was a fun way for us to kind of point out some really key marketing tactics that we feel are valuable, we feel are worth focusing on. But really, truly, Taylor Swift is a marketing genius. Like, she has surrounded herself with individuals that have led her in a really great direction. She herself has been able to create so much. And I feel like we can continue learning 
so much from her when it comes to successfully marketing a brand and getting a lot of buzz and a lot of excitement around what you're putting out there. Absolutely. She's got really great instincts for business and whatever whatever combination of it, it is just her or her team, like she has not really misstepped. So I look forward to seeing what she continues to do because I'm sure she will be a powerhouse for a long time. And we in marketing will just continue to learn from her as she takes these risks and pivots that are so exciting to watch. You know, maybe we'll get another two albums this year. I don't know, Taylor. Come on. I don't know. Maybe um, you got it in you. There's got to be like another sister or like a cousin album. I don't know. <laughs> a side C to folklore. Um, yeah. But no, I, I look forward to, to continue being a fan of hers. Um, and I think I appreciate her even more as an adult. Like I said, I'm a late stage fan. I think that's probably because I respect her as a businesswoman as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that helps contribute to it. Keep doing you, Taylor. We'll keep learning from you. And we'll keep listening. And with that, we come to the end of our first episode of season two. And thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. We are really looking forward to continuing to create episodes this year. We'll still be launching episodes every full moon. So once a month, you can hear our sweet voices coming through your ears. That's intense. That's a lot. (laughs) Um, But on another note, much like our very first Patreon did, you can find us on Patreon and you can support this podcast by contributing for a dollar. You get a shout out on our episode. For three dollars, you can access our Lady Date stickers. So a while back, we posted those on our social channels and we have plenty of stickers to send out. You may or may not get a handwritten note from the ladies themselves. We would love to see you on there. We're looking to build that community up a lot more and offer more exclusive things to you through Patreon. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram. We're always posting something as we get together and create new things. Obviously, our baking adventures will be heavily featured on our social channels. So if you're looking for something, find us there. You can also like and subscribe and find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We're going to start posting resources on our website. So you haven't checked out our website, do. Um, You'll see a lovely assortment of photos of us um, from a very fun photo shoot. Thanks, Ruben. So check out our website if you haven't. We're going to be doing a lot more with that this year. So stay tuned as we provide more marketing tips and resources for you. Find us at ladydatepod.com. And thank you so much for being here. Let us know if there's any feedback that you have on this episode. We'd love to continue the conversation with you. We'd love to hear what you have to say. All you Swifties out there, let us know if there's anything else you feel like uh, she's contributed or she's brought about in the world of marketing. Thanks, guys, for listening. Bye. Bye.